Hi, this is David Pepos, the writer of Spencer and Locke, and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I was going to say this is the first time we spoke, but it is actually not. My guest and I met, this is going back about a month already, since New York Comic Con, and more specifically at the Crater After Con event in NYC uh, at Twins Pub, which is a couple of blocks away from the Jacob Javits Center. And just a quick little background for anyone who doesn't know, the Creator After Con Network is a, well, it's an organization and the events held at New York Comic Con and other conventions across the country are meant to get creators together in a relaxed environment so that way they can hopefully meet and network with and maybe just share a couple of drinks and some food with fellow creators. Well, I'll get into the story in a little bit, but I do just at least want to give a shout out to CACN and also Talented Eileen for actually bringing us together. And I'm very excited to speak with you. So kind of going into your background, you are a filmmaker and also an entertainment journalist, and you have decided to enter the world of writing for comics, which I think is a really interesting transition. So we're going to get into all that today, but please welcome to the show, Aaron Burke. Aaron, hello, and good talking to you again. Hey, yeah, good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on your show. This is really exciting. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a really long time, and this is a really exciting opportunity for me. I have to tell the story because I think it's kind of a nice little introduction. I was made aware of you through Eileen. Uh, she had been speaking to you at the event, and she had mentioned that um, you had submitted a story, which we'll get into um, later on, Mm-hmm. for the Oneshi Press Quarterly Anthology Volume 6. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, Oneshi Press, uh, well, Lindsay G and Gerald Draco have been guests on her show twice before, and I'm a big fan of their work. And the anthologies have been just really just great. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, when you when you know the names, like I've their anthologies are very well done. So to have you featured, I think, is a really nice touch. So, you know, we kind of got talking, and in trying to kind of let you know what the podcast was about and get to know each other, in a way, I feel like we almost recorded a small version <laughs> of said podcast. <laughs> I agree. Because, <laughs> well, it started out, I believe it was you that had mentioned um, early on that you have, um, in your journalist work, you had written a article about Superman for, I believe it was Comic yeah, Force, correct? Right. Yeah, it was um, a, a Superman analysis piece I'd written for Comics First, kind of breaking down the multiple variations of the character and just how many Supermen are in comics right now. There's actually like multiple variations of Superman. There's like a Chinese Superman, there's Superwoman, there's all kinds of different Superman characters now featured in the comics, and that's sort of what I had written about. Yeah, so, and then we kind of got to this fun little conversation, and I I think in a way it was something akin to a hot take, because (laughs) I think, come to realize that we are very big fans of two of the most controversial Superman movies up until recently, (laughs) which were Superman 3 and 4 (laughs) by, you know, Christopher Reeve, and I'm just going to flat out say this, and I'm going to reiterate it, because now we have said it in a relatively closed environment, but now I'm saying this publicly, I like Superman 3 and 4. You know what? I like Superman 3 and 4. I like them both. I don't care who knows it. (laughs) 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 
they, they, now, to be clear, they are not good movies, but they are fun movies. And I would watch them again and again, along with the first two movies. They are all a joy to watch. They really are, largely because of Chris Reeves' performance, which is consistent throughout. But also, they're just fun. They're just fun, bad movies. Right? And <laughs> shout out to Mario, who was also there for a good chunk of that conversation. We were really just discussing, you know, that versus, like, the new Superman and why we felt that maybe the newer versions didn't really hold true to, I feel like, the core of what Superman is. Mm. And it's kind of funny. And talking about why we enjoyed 3 and 4, it really came down to the passion of Christopher Reeve. 3 and 4 did not have the budgets of the first two films. Mm-hmm. Far from it, but yet he believed so wholeheartedly, I believe, in not only just the projects, but in just Superman and what he embodied, that as much as you want to slam the movie for its cheesy quality, you couldn't help but just really love his zeal for the character and for the project. And then you explaining your passion for the character itself, like, I fed off of that. And to me, I think getting into your professional work is something that can't be overstated is the need for that enthusiasm, need for that passion, because it's very hard work. And you coming from a film background in the comics, I'm sure you know as well as anybody that it is very hard work. But anytime that I've interacted with you, again, it's that excitement. And I heard it even in your voice when we got started. So I think that's just very commendable. And we need more of that. Thank you. I mean, listen, I could talk about Superman 3 and 4 all day long. I could talk about all the Superman movies. When I was in college, it was the summer after I finished college, I actually made a fan edit of Superman 2. I spent all summer putting it together. I don't know if you know the history, but there's two versions of Superman 2, one directed by First Films director Richard Donner, and another version that was directed by Richard Lester, which ultimately became the theatrical cut. The Richard Donner version was later released 20, 20 years later. I think it was in 2006 on DVD. And it had some new great scenes like the return of Marlon Brando as Jor-El. But there was something lacking in it because it was made from an unfinished film. And I had this passion to create what I saw as an ideal version of Superman 2 based on both directors' movies. And I kind of spent a whole summer combining them together and putting them into one big version of Superman 2, which I'm actually really proud of. And uh, it was, you know, just to explain how passionate I actually am about Superman. And if you ever want to see my cut of Superman 2, I'd be happy to share. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. And I will definitely have to add the article to show in the links because I think that's really fascinating. So something I often talk about in the show, especially when it comes to creators, since they tend to be independent, is origin stories because like a lot of comics even those that are not superhero based i'm always interested in where someone has come from where they're going sure you know that journey which i think is so very important for a lot of people who are either listening or involved so even though i want to get to the comic stuff i want to do touch at least a little bit on your work in film and then that decision to want to transition into you know writing for comics and other mediums so I'd say, you know, my, my love of comics goes back to when I was a kid. Certainly Superman was one of the big ones for me. I, I was into Batman, Spider-Man, all those guys, all the most popular comic book characters. So that, that was something in my background for a long time, but while I didn't consider it what I primarily wanted to do until very recently. And the, pr- uh, the primary reason for that was I just was in love with all forms of fiction and 
with writing. I'm a writer, and I've always been drawn to writing in, in its in its pure form, the pure craft of writing. And as I grew older, I you know I would write. I wrote like stories based on um, like existing franchise, just for, for myself, like basically fan fiction. Right. From there, I sort of became interested in exploring film as a possible option for myself. And um, I made a couple of short films, which was really fun. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very proud of the films I made, particularly um, my short film Hats, which came out in 2016. You know, it was a wonderful experience. But again, I, I suppose I keep coming back to the fact that through all of that, the thing I still love most is writing. And I particularly love writing fantasy and i love writing comic book fiction or comic book-esque fiction and so getting into comic books just became an experiment for me and it became something i really wanted to try and it became it sort of was um a rediscovery really of my passion for comic books and it came about largely actually because of actually (laughs) actually you know what's funny if the specific way i got back into comic books Uh this is gonna sound really weird but it was actually because of buffy the vampire slayer not too weird (laughs) (laughs) i mean granted it's buffy though i mean that show i mean it's still hugely celebrated but i am interested how that parallel was drawn so please indulge me i didn't see the tv show until maybe four five years ago yeah four years ago 2014 was when i first sat down and watched all of buffy now growing up i had been you know resistant to it because i was a kid and i was like oh like like girl show i don't want to watch this but um (laughs) you know (laughs) but as i became you know more interested in all different kinds of storytelling people kept telling me yeah this guy joss whedon he's really good you should watch buffy and as i watched it i just fell so in love with the characters and the storytelling and i just you know, I, I from there I watched Angel, the spinoff. I mean, I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan, and he obviously has comic book sensibilities himself. And I just had this love of Buffy that could not be contained. And when I finished Buffy, I wanted more. And it just so happens that Buffy continued in comic form. After season seven ended, several years later, Joss Whedon started a season eight comic. And that series has gone all the way up until season 12, which just concluded. And I've been reading the comics. And and that reading the Buffy comics made me remember how much I love comics. And that got me back into into DC and reading Superman and Batman again. And it really just led into this like return to the comic books I loved so much as a kid. I went through a very brief period where I didn't really think much about comic books or even geek culture, at least in a large way. Mm-hmm. And then I started working at a comic book store, and it's funny being exposed to so much stuff, and even a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have normally read, you know, like a DC, which I had not been a DC fan for so long. And to tell you the truth, it's almost like what was the Nightmare Before Christmas when um Jack Skellington first goes into like the Christmas world for the first time, where he's just mm-hmm. kind of lost his mind. He's like, "Oh, what's this? What's this?" And you're just like grabbing like comics off the shelf, and it's like, "Sir, you had to pay for those." Like, no, I'm in love with these. Let me dance with them for a while. <laughs> i haven't read a lot of the buffy comics which ashley if you're listening i'm sorry um but the tv (laughs) show i was pretty much up to i don't remember what season it was well i guess as i consider Mm pre-dawn and around there i kind of fell off and the show definitely took a lot of you know interesting turns but i didn't really follow it as much but it is kind of fascinating that that comic has lived on as long as it has so yeah i could definitely understand then being in love with something like that because it's almost the perfect transition and even though 
as much as I love the characters from the show, it's really seeing that in comic form as like, it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sad, actually. Joss Whedon had been supervising the comics for a long time, but he actually came back to write season 12. Um, and just as he came back to, to write the comic series, Dark Horse actually canceled the entire Buffy series. Oh, no. So, so I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, this happened like a few months back. And he was like, oh, I have four issues to write this entire finale to all of Buffy. So he wound up having to, to conclude the whole thing in four issues. Um, it, was, it was, yeah, it was, you know, I just couldn't believe that. It was just unfortunate, but I think it coincided with uh, the timing of, uh, they, they recently announced um, a reboot of, uh, a television reboot of Buffy, and I think that's why uh, they wanted the license back from Dark Horse, and that's why the series was forced to end. You know, reading the comics, you missed a certain movement, you know, the, 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 the characters. The, so much of the show is the humanity and the, what the actors bring to it, the emotions. The, that show is so full of emotion. Obviously, when you're looking at a two-dimensional piece of paper, the emotions are not so present. They're there, the words and the designs, and you can still feel it. And the, the, the creators have done an incredible job bringing them out. But, of course, the experience is never going to be as visceral as what you see in television. So that's like an element that I've always missed. But at the same time, I think the comics have done such a beautiful job in in sort of really bringing to life the the atmosphere and vibe of the show. Was that experience in terms of writing for a comic, would you say not necessarily easy, but was it at least a little bit easier than maybe having gone with it without having that background? That's an interesting question. So I would say my my attempt at at writing my first comic book script was rough because I had literally this story in question, Victoria, I had intended to be a short film and I wrote it as a short film script. And so for a variety of reasons, budgetary reasons, um, it it just, you know, it, it, it sort of coincided with my renewed love of comics when I sort of went away from the idea of making it into a film. And I thought, hey, maybe this could be a good comic. Um, so what I wound up doing was translating the script hmm. into a comic book script, and I'm not going to pretend it was easy or perfect. Certainly what I came up with was probably pretty rough as far as most comic book scripts go. Um, it was definitely a learning experience for me. There was something very interesting in converting action words to passive words. I don't want to imply that you know there's no longer any action but there is but it's because there is but you're instead of describing motion you're now describing all of what is happening in a single image and that was kind of counterintuitive for me as a writer who has always expressed himself through the writing of motion physicality how people move the visual aspect so it did feel a little bit stifling to have to pull back and write for still images but there was also something that sort of helped me to see the story from a larger perspective because I was no longer just thinking about how the character moved. I was thinking about how the character appeared and what the background looked like and how it might eventually look in a comic page. So there was it was definitely an adjustment period, but there was definitely an interesting process of kind of uh, opening up from my previous experience and and just seeing it as kind of like an entirely different animal. But I also didn't would imagine in writing a story that may have a lot of movement in it. Like, let's just say, for instance, okay, if you were writing a Buffy comic, 
maybe a scene where she's battling a group of vampires. She's not going to be staring them down to death, you know, which Buffy could easily do, but <laughs> you know, there'd be a lot more, <laughs> there'd be a lot Absolutely. more movement in that. And at least it, it is kind of cool because having that background, I feel like at least it would be really interesting to then see that action and movement in an illustrated image versus, you know, having actors. So I think that's, again, it's really fascinating work. And well, speaking of books, now, if I'm not mistaken, Victoria, this is your first published work, correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. It's my first published work uh, as a comic, and it's actually my first published work in, in printed form, period. <laughs> so it's a very exciting one. Nice. Yeah. I didn't want you get into too much detail where I run the risk of spoiling it. Sure. But um, if you could, at least, at least a brief elevator pitch as to the overall idea of Victoria. Sure. So the basic concept of Victoria is a mysterious girl who, in the first pages, shows up at a morgue searching for someone she lost. And the dumbfound mortician doesn't know quite what to make of this. But Victoria has a connection to the dead, and she's very adamant about getting inside this morgue and finding what she's looking for and who she's looking for. And as we see Victoria move through the morgue, we start to experience perhaps a supernatural connection to the dead and some interesting powers um, connection that she might have. Um, and the story is ultimately about, you know, this girl who is looking for someone who presumably is no longer with us. And we want to ask the question, who is this person? Why is Victoria trying to find them? And will she find them? That entry in the anthology was pretty gripping and it left me wanting more. But even if that was a standalone, like I was surprised how much story you were able to tell in such a short amount of time and in such a short number of panels. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, of course, now knowing the Buffy ankle, and I'm glad I we're having this conversation because now I'm thinking to myself, okay, now I'm starting to draw these parallels <laughs> and I'm like, that that's brilliant. Like that's really well done. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, like what in terms of like like connection to Buffy, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was in there. I, I I think yeah, that was that was definitely in there. It was in the, the background of Buffy is often in the background of my consciousness when I'm writing. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, what was the inspiration on choosing Victoria as your first piece to publish? So I became interested in the idea of doing a gothic comic. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously when people think comic books, they think superheroes or action series, something like Buffy. I was interested in doing something more in like the gothic horror genre. I had taken Victoria, which again was a film script, and it was sitting at this juncture where I really wanted to do something with it. And I couldn't turn it into a film, or I could, but it would, was going to be very difficult. It would probably have been a very, very high budget. And at that point, it seemed like perhaps a more realistic bet would be to try and turn it into a comic. And I was interested in exploring the medium and what the medium could do. And I thought it could be really interesting to explore a gothic topic in comics. And, you know, in particular, there's something I like about the idea of exploring a person who doesn't connect with the living. And that's sort of the subtext is, you know, a human being who can't really connect with people who are alive and 
is just really more comfortable and feels more at home with the dead. And it just so happens that comic pages provide stillness, provide still images, much like the dead who are in still form at all times. And <laughs> that idea played out very nicely in my mind as sort of a potential I don't know, a potential exploration path for, for really making Victoria flourish in comic form. Considering that in the anthology, it's a very short piece, was there ever an impetus to continue the story if granted the opportunity in a longer form, or was it always meant to be this self-contained? No, I, I had originally written uh, like a 45-page script, uh, which I was going to turn into a film, and uh, it basically branched off into sections. So the story that you read, the published form, comprises like the first section of the script, the first five, six pages. So I could very easily turn this into a five, six issue miniseries, which is something that I certainly, you know, look forward to doing down the line. And that always remains a, a possibility for me. To have a little bit of fun, if you could, is there any pre-existing character, Buffy aside, that you would love to write for? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the answer, I know the answer right away. The answer is Superman. Uh, I'd love to write Superman one day. That's obviously a tall order. So at Comic-Con over the years, I've gotten to, to talk to Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, who were writing Superman um, for like the last three years. I love talking to those guys and picking their brains. And like, I just, I literally mentioned to Peter Tomasi, yeah, I'd love to write Superman one day. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he, he was very cool about it. I asked him if I, you know, what would be your advice to writing Superman? And he said, make him a man. You know, don't make him an alien. Don't make anything. Don't make him anything else. Make him a man. And I think that really appealed to me. And I think that encapsulates why I like Superman so much and why, like, if I were to ever get into comics, why he would be the character I'd love to write. He's not just some cheesy American symbol or whatever. I think he encapsulates sort of the ideal of, of what a man can be. Honor, integrity, respect, truth. All those things, as I grow older, I identify more and more with that, sort of the light end of the spectrum rather than sort of the dark end of the spectrum that Batman represents, which I, of course, which as a kid I loved. But now as I grow older, I start to think like, yeah, I think like Superman is like the ultimate representation of a, of a true, what a true adult should be. And I just really, really like that. And I think Superman for me represents the, out of any comic book character, my own personal truth of how I want to live. And that's, that's why I would write Superman. I do feel that in a way we were robbed of that crossover between Christopher Reeve's Superman and Michael Keaton's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> or even Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, like those three as the Trinity. Like, I don't know. I wonder, would it have ever worked? It's very possible. You know, it's, it's hard for me to see a crossover working at that time without it being like extremely cheesy. Right. As far as Superman, the Christopher Reeve Superman, Michael Keaton, Batman. I mean, that, I mean, that would be awesome. I just, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where... It's hard for me to imagine that whoever would have made that movie could have matched their tones in a realistic way without it coming off more like Freddy versus Jason. I'm not going to try to spend too much time harping on it, but when you got something like Dawn of Justice where it's weird because it works in the books, you know, the two of them have clearly worked together more often than not. Well, well, that's the thing, right? Because, uh, you know, I think Zack Snyder's sensibilities work much better for Batman than they do for Superman. 
Um, and I, and I think watching that, watching Batman versus Superman, I think what resonated the most, what worked the best in that movie was Ben Affleck's Batman and also, you know, Wonder Woman when she made her appearance. Um, I like Henry Cavill as Superman, but I think the take on his character was so dark and so morbid that he just never really came alive in the way Superman would. And this makes me think that, you know, perhaps a director like Zack Snyder, who has, you know, a dark sensibility, shouldn't tackle multiple characters, each who have their own sensibility. And I think you would need, like, a director who can sort of see, you know, a bigger picture, who can handle ensembles a bit better. I can see why um, Warner Brothers ultimately went with Joss Whedon to take over Justice League, and I love Whedon, but unfortunately I think he made Justice League way too, you know, almost campy and and joke-filled. I think he kind of went in the opposite direction and didn't really do the darkness of some of the characters justice, particularly Batman. Very, very difficult for one director to balance. I, I think James Cameron actually is a pretty good idea. Um, I'm trying to think of other, other directors. Um, so, someone like, um, like, like Ridley Scott maybe could do like a good job. He's able to, you know, handle things on like a pretty epic scale, like with Gladiator. If you have a movie, that even if, okay, let's just say, for instance, if they never did the entire Justice League, maybe we'll save that for a later sequel. But maybe we'll start with, I don't know, either World's Finest or we'll even do, like, the Trinity as the sole leads. Because I feel like of the, th- the three of them could carry a flick easily without even getting into, like, Flash or Aquaman. Like, I feel like a movie like that, in a way, would almost be better served by kind of dialing back a little bit. And it's tough because in the story of three superheroes, no one's going to want to sit there and see, like, a dialogue-driven character study. But I almost feel like it'd be necessary to at least, at least for the first half, to kind of get an idea as who these characters are before they start punching people in the face. For all of these supposed differences that they have... There's a lot of similarities, and I think I just lament that we have not been able to get a definitive version where the three characters can coexist in the same film without feeling so jarring. Right, right. And I, and I think, you know, that's a really good point because there's a sense of a lack of protagonist in Batman versus Superman and Justice League. Now, I think for these movies, the protagonist should be Superman. And I think Zack Snyder was trying to make Superman the protagonist of the whole series. Um, it, it, it just didn't quite work the way Batman versus Superman was edited. Um, it, it, it just, Superman's story did not come to the forefront. And then in Justice League, it becomes about resurrecting Superman and he sort of becomes the beacon that 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 sort of shining beacon that glues the league together by the end of the film that's what they were going for and it seems like they were trying to do that but the picture was so wonky and so muddled that it just didn't really come across the way it should have but i do think that the way these movies need to function the way a, a true justice league movie needs to function would be super with superman at the core trying to bring his values to earth peace prosperity integrity and then him trying to find the other members of the league to help him do that and him trying to convince them to spread his mission of, of bringing, you know, peace to humanity and, un, and uplifting humanity. And I think Justice League kind of did it 
backwards by making Superman dead throughout the first half of that movie. <laughs> it's not that the story itself was necessarily a bad one. It's just that we never got that time. And, and I'm not to kind of make it uh, a thing between the companies, but I think about, let's say, Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. The crux of this movie is these two heroes who, while have their differences, have found common ground, have been relative friends, and have gone through these very intense battles together, now are at this moment where now they're at odds and cannot find a way to agree. Right. So by the time you get to that final battle, you're seeing at least a few years of history of this camaraderie and maybe an uneasy alliance, but an alliance nonetheless. So when it all sort of falls apart, you feel that. That's hard to do in a in a short while. And actually, now that I think about it, though, if I had to go director, I'm almost tempted only because I feel like so far, you know, they had the best handle on the character so far. I'm going to put my hat in the ring and say Patty Jenkins for a Justice League movie. Interesting choice. I definitely think she could do a good job. I do have some issues with the narrative of Wonder Woman. I like the movie a lot. I think I probably liked it less than some people. Part of the issue for me is that Wonder Woman herself, to me, seemed sometimes too passive, as though the events were unfolding around her and she didn't really have a part to play in them. She was reactive more than proactive and i get that i think part of that is gal gadot's performance part of that is the directing but to me she wasn't enough of an active force leading the narrative of that movie and obviously when you have a team of heroes you want them to be very very active so i mean i think look i think patty jenkins is a very competent director but i think that would be my hesitation just based on you know my own personal take on why wonder woman had some issues Ultimately, what may be, to me, the way to go would maybe be a soft reboot. Hmm. And I know they've toyed around the idea of just having each movie be self-contained and not really be concerned with like the larger universe as a whole, which might be an okay way to do it. So that way, there's not a lot of pressure to make it all work under this one big umbrella. But let's say if you go by just those three main characters... I mean, Aquaman hasn't come out yet, so I'm not sure. But from his, you know, Momoa's performance is a really interesting take because I feel like his version is actually much closer to like the animated series Brave and the Bold Aquaman than anything else. And I love that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Patty, for the most part, has had a better handle on the overall idea of Wonder Woman versus maybe, let's say, Affleck's Batman or even uh, Cowell's Superman. And yeah, maybe passive being more of a viewpoint character, considering this is, you know, the first foray into the world kind of thing and trying to find someone's place in that. I don't know if that was maybe the idea behind it, but I'd imagine that by the time you get to, what is it, uh, Wonder Woman 84, mm. we'll, we'll see, you know, a difference in that. But granted, it's now, are, is that movie still going to be informed by Justice League? Because I'm still very confused by the, you know, she kind of laid low for various decades, but I'm like, that's not something I don't think she would have done. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she would be the first to be like, let's get this handled. You know, much like we saw in Dawn of Justice, whereas Batman and Superman are just kind of like, wait, what the hell is this thing? You know, Doomsday shows up. She's essentially like, all right, well, we see this monster. Can we take care of this, please, and figure it out afterwards? <laughs> yeah, the, the the justification for Wonder Woman's disappearance is, like, wildly inconsistent. Batman versus Superman makes it seem like she hasn't appeared in, like, 100 years. And then she happened to show up when Doomsday came to the forefront. And then in Justice League, I think it was Joss Whedon who came up with this idea, which I think was unusually a terrible idea. But the idea was that the reason she went into hiding over all these years was because of Steve Trevor's death. As in, she couldn't get over for a hundred years, and she just decided to like abandon her role as a hero. And I just like I can't buy that. <laughs> so I, I you know, yeah, I, I really can't buy that. And but even the fact that she would reemerge after a hundred years because of Doomsday, like really, he was the first big threat in one hundred years in the DC universe. That just does not add up. <laughs> and as I've said to you the night we met, I am definitely not the biggest DC fan. But by the same token, I also know what they represent. It doesn't have to be what the Avengers are because it's not. And that's okay. And I think to say that they're not the Avengers, whether you mean figuratively or literally, that's not necessarily a problem. And I think, if anything, that's a plus. I think, to bring some parallels back to, you know, your work in comics, there has to be a way to take at least this core, but also put some new blood into it, because as I talk to more and more indie artists, the stories that they wish to tell don't quite necessarily fall in line with your standard format or even just overall outline of what a comic book is or maybe was, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot more of a possibility for that in comics than in film, in television as well. Certainly those long-form story methods, comic books, television, I think there's a lot more possibility for the kind of, of changes and, and you know positive upheaval that you're talking about with movies just to hit on the point you were making about it's it's okay for justice league to be different from the avengers the problem with what marvel and disney have done is that they've created a formula that works so well for them and they could just keep churning out movies and they probably will just keep churning out marvel movies for the next 20 years and they're just going to do this until people stop seeing them which may or may not ever happen but the problem with what they've done is that every other studio especially those producing other comic book properties now think they have to ape Disney Marvel's formula. And that's exactly what DC tried to do for Justice League, and it did not work. It They literally took the guy, Joss Whedon, who directed the Avengers and was like, do Justice League the same way you did Avengers. And you can't do that. They're not the same characters. They're they're not full of, of you know comedic quips. That's not what DC is about. Not to trivialize Marvel, but the thing about Marvel is that the characters are are more meant to be reflective of humanity. In other words, they are supposed to they're more human characters and they're supposed to reflect human experiences, whereas the characters from DC are a little bit more larger than life, more like gods and goddesses. And Zack Snyder, for all of his sort of failings he got that right and bringing in joss whedon was a total mistake because he he diminished what those characters were capable of achieving so that's my take on that and i i <laughs> as usual i got lost in a, a dc tangent but to bring it back to your point i think as long as these dominating formulas based on money exist in hollywood 
the studios are going to stifle real creativity and really the opportunity to represent these characters as they should. And I think that comic books offer so much more possibility in terms of flexibility and storytelling, where we can take characters in terms of, you know, progress in society. And there's just so much happening um, that, that comics can bring to the forefront without a filter. And I think that's the thing standing in the way of these movies. There is a very, very dense filter, and it's not allowing the best of you know, the comic book medium to blossom forth. It's not really allowing the best storytelling to blossom forth in cinema. And I'm very excited to follow your progress. And I think it's no accident that your story was picked up by Unnerstry Press because I know that they, as a company, have also been working on bringing in new fresh talent with a new perspective, showing everybody, at least to the untrained eye that there's so much more to offer so even if you think that's not for you that's okay because then there's a lot of other work that Mm -hmm. may tickle your fancy for lack of a better term that you may really be into so i'm very excited to see your work and where it goes from here and i'm also just very glad that we got to meet and i'm also just want to say well congratulations and you know best of luck and i look forward to seeing your next work Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate that. I am working on some new stuff now, and it's not superhero stuff. I'm working on a couple different fantasy stories that I'm looking to turn into comics. And much like you're saying, I don't want to reveal too much, but I want to explore ways that the comic book medium in particular can bring storytelling to life in ways that perhaps film and television cannot Thank you for sharing your experiences and sharing your story with us. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do this again because hopefully by that time we'll have a Justice League movie that we can actually really be proud of. <laughs> God, if someone's going to see this and say, like, wow, they're really down in Justice League, it's like, no. But, you know, it's like, I kind of want to see the Justice League I saw in the animated series that was just like, holy crap, I want to be in on this team. God, absolutely. Yeah, I love that series. They did it right there. Of course, it's much easier when you have a full series to tell a story. But I know, I know there's a way to do one movie or a trilogy of Justice League movies and really get it right. There is a way. I mean, considering that in another couple (laughs) of weeks, like, it blows my mind. And again, I say this a lot that I was never big on DC growing up. So there's certain times I have to reconcile, like, new version with old version of me. And the fact that we are weeks away from a big budget live action Aquaman movie. There's always going to be a part of me that's like, wait, what? (laughs) And to be fair, I said the same thing about Ant-Man and even, you know, like some of the other characters in Marvel where it's like, I never in a million years would have thought this is something that not only is going to happen, but it's gotten this bit of, you know, it's gotten this treatment. And I feel that what's great about that, it shows that, you know, the characters have some staying power. They have some, agency but by the same token though that sort of anything is possible mentality is also warranted in comics like you said like there's there's so many worlds yet to be explored and so many unique possibilities and again i i know this always sounds very kind of schmaltzy but i'm always just proud especially of the fresh new faces who are really looking to make some really great changes so but before we go 
I mean, I know we kind of threw out a couple of names here, but I do want everybody to know where they can find more about you and your work, and especially the anthology, which I don't think we mentioned exactly where they could find that. So any links and sites you mm-hmm. wish to kind of uh, plug before we close out, feel free to do so. If you want to find uh, the anthology, the Aneshi Press anthology, please go to their website, aneshipress.com, and you go to the store section, um, and you can look for anthology number six. Um, Aneshi Press anthology number six is where you'll find Victoria, and you'll find a number of other very interesting stories in that collection. Um, the thing I like about these stories is much like we're talking about, they're very different, and they're stories that very much sort of exist in the current socio-political spectrum, and they have very interesting ideas, um, you know, about individuality and progress. Um, and there's just very distinctive stuff in there that's different from other comics. And so I highly recommend it. And if you want to check out more of my stuff online, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Aaron Burke 88. That's A A R O N B E R K E 88. And you can also find me on Facebook, same spelling, Aaron Burke. I am currently looking to compile more of my work in a single space. Um, and I'll be happy to share that with you guys once it's all sorted out. Thank you very much for taking the time out. You know, I know we mentioned her quite a bit tonight and her ears are probably burning, but you will be hearing Eileen's voice at the end of the show after the unique theme for all of Agent Has Issues social networking stuff. But that'll do it for us here and we will see you next issue. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please visit us on the web at adrianhasissues.com where you can stream and download all of our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash adrianhasissues. Follow us on Twitter at adrianhasissues and on Instagram at adrianhasissuespod. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and the Laughable Podcast app. Thanks again!